0: Is here. Oh, well, I've only been here a couple of days, do you? Know, I can't sort out all the problems in that time. Are you still thinking you're not here to sort out the Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream, wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. The News
1: Round on Off the Ball with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Welcome. Newsround is coming at you. Dramatic scenes at Aintree over the weekend. So protesters delayed the Grand National. They prompted further debate, as you've just been hearing on the news headlines about horse racing and animal welfare. Lydia Hislop is a brilliant racing broadcaster, journalist. Very happy to say she's going to join us half past seven to discuss all. Monday Night Rugby then. Great weekend for the Irish provinces in the URC. Bad weekend for Ireland in the Six Nations. Jerry Thornley and Fiona Hayes on the way after eight o'clock. Meanwhile, Arsenal wobbling at just the wrong time. Liverpool Leeds is on Monday Night Football this evening. Pat Nevin with us on the football show after 9. 53106, the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. We have Richie McCormick with us. Good evening. Hello. Jens, how are you? Very well. Michael McCarthy here in studio. Hello, Michael. Hi, lads.
2: How are things?
1: Very well. Cracking weekend of sport, all told, I would say. Started
2: uh, off beautifully uh, for... Certain fans of a certain football club around half 12 on uh, Saturday ah. <laughs> but we won't talk about that now I don't even want to talk about it I'll let, 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 I'll let the table do the speaking for itself. To... oh indeed Jason the Irish villain texted in could you get straight mix, away Jesus could you get
1: mixed 15 seconds on Aston Villa near the start of the news round tonight please I have to go collect the kids I'd hate to miss my
2: team's <laughs> dot, dot 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 coverage <laughs> Uh, best uh, villa performance that I can remember i 'm not necessarily saying it was the best of my lifetime, but obviously fresh in my mind uh, they were absolutely outstanding Newcastle weren 't great, but nobody has done that to them this season at all. They were bloody, any team bloody, bloody good. Aston Villa. Yeah, I hadn't appreciated just what quality football they play. All of a sudden, yeah, absolutely brilliant football. Like so, oh. some some one touch stuff between like the the three midfielders setting up. Like and Watkins just absolutely unplayable. That's the best I've ever seen Ollie Watkins play. But it's also not completely out of nowhere. Like he has show had this in his locker all along. He's playing much better, much smarter uh, game at the moment. He's not getting like, as involved in everything as he has been doing. But like, God, it's playing dividends. Like he is absolutely brilliant. I heard. Uh Gary never make the
1: observation, and you could really see it on the pitch that Emery, and uh, interestingly, it's a side issue, but he was arguing continental coaches generally. But Emery is excellent at just rehearsing little movements, little patterns, again and again and again, and suddenly on a pitch they unfold and they're orchestrated. And you have the likes of McGinn and all these players yeah. who you know you, you would describe as kind of uh, not flair players, but obviously you know you think about the best players you played with in school. Yeah, how good are any Premier League players? They weren't even within a billion miles of Premier League. So how good these guys must be. And suddenly you see them able to express themselves within this coordinated manner. And then you see Frank Lampard and you just think,
2: uh, yeah, you know, there's something (laughs) in this coaching uh, business. Yeah, it's kind of, and even the, the take the Lampard thing with a more like the, Jared one I suppose is, is relevant to Villa but feels more historical now like God only knows if that's going to rear its head again but you know I was on the show like the night he got sacked we didn't know he was going to get sacked the night of the Fulham game and I remember bemoaning John McGinn as someone who should be the most popular player he's such a fans player mm-hmm. and he was becoming disliked he was getting mocked mocked, like jeered and mocked when he was getting taken off after 65 minutes in the game when he shouldn't have been starting. He was so out of form, his confidence was gone and Gerrard just sticking with him but not doing anything with him, you know? And now look at him. Honestly, he has been on a consistent level the last 10, 15 games he's been one of the best midfielders in the league. Is that six wins in a row? Yeah, first time since the 90s.
1: Ooh, up to sixth, Aston Villa. That is your Aston Villa coverage for Thank next you. next two Appreciate months. it. <laughs> and counting Richie Monaghan no, and I Tyrone Richie
0: saved Gaelic football
1: over the weekend as well
0: look what a beautiful yeah, Ulster, beast it can be Ulster football once again saving the entirety of the All-Ireland Championship um, yeah it was, it was fantastic because like for whatever but we always talk about the competitive nature of the Ulster Championship um, but there had been this slow creep towards kind of attritional football down through the years, and that was just the doors are blown wide off that yesterday. Yesterday was just a fantastic game, two teams well able to attack, two teams more than willing to attack, uh, taking the chances when they fell to them, and ultimately coming down to the seventy-six minute and and that winning goal. Like it was just a remarkable, a remarkable outing. But there is a tinge of 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 uh, sadness. Is probably too strong, but like you kind of wonder like. And the same again the other week with Ross Common and Mayo, it's like one of these games for, you know. I know there's like the provincial championships ultimately on the line, but you know yesterday both teams qualified for the the group stages of the championship, and um, Ross Common and Mayo the week previous both qualified for the group stages of the championship. So there is a bit of a case of a phony war uh, about these kind of games, yeah. unfortunately. And um, I don't think it should take away from the product that was served up because it was brilliant.
2: It was class, even before the drama of the kind of like you score, we score, then we score a goal madness at the, uh, of injury time, which is like, you know, it's, it's so the opposite of what we've seen of like, you know, holding on to what you have, three minute possessions, all of that stuff that we were actually only talking about last week, moaning it, none of that was there. But even before that, it was a spectacular game. It was really open. It was brilliant. The, the first Monaghan goal, like, you know, you've got Rory Began and Niall, M- Niall Morgan playing basically as, you know, I, I saw uh, Conor McManus talk, describing Began as the quarterback jokingly on TV after the game, but that yeah. is what they're doing. And Began did this thing where he burst towards the 45 and it looked like he was going to take a score, and Tyrone thought he was going to take a score, and instead he just laid this beautiful ball in, full forward, taps it out, goal. And it was brilliant. It was just great football. But this was all the way through. I thought it was just a really open, good game and yeah for like for you know for the go for the goal instead of fisting over it's just it's everything that we haven't seen in football for the last four or five years it's still the wrong decision they're one point down <laughs> i don't know like well maybe as richie says maybe it's not do or die and you can try those things in the 76th minute darren mccurry had just hit a beautiful equal <laughs> or, or score to win the game to put toronto ahead however many seconds before that would be forgotten by history now yeah. as well you know there was just there was loads in it it was I brilliant was
1: incredibly relieved in his path that he did score the goal because yeah ooh the (laughs) the young guy on his debut (laughs) on his debut yeah good on him Uh, so I'm I'm curious uh, for your thoughts on the Grand National situation as well we'll be talking about this at half past seven Lydia Hislop will join us 14 minute delay to world's most famous race police arrest 118 protesters from the animal welfare group Animal Rising two of whom managed to I think one of them glued himself and another may have chained himself but certainly glue was in there I don't know how you detach him from the fence but he was glued to it one way or another. That's not the key issue here but uh, it did cross my mind. (laughs) It does seem to be, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And just that increasing nervousness on the part of horse racing I would think particularly in In the the UK UK, where the anti-horse racing lobby is louder certainly than it is here and Animal Rising have promised more protests of this nature across the summer and beyond. So Lydia Hislop will... Join us. Racing has the misfortune on a few fronts, uh, certainly one of them being that their most watched race, the Grand National, is also by a distance its most dangerous Mm -hmm. race. Thirty six horses have died in the Grand National since 2010, Mm. and it is a much safer race now than it's ever been. Much Much safer. safer. Four and three years have died. And uh, to double up on their misfortune from their point of view, I suppose, as this 15 minutes of protest happened, more and more people, I suspect, turned on their television to watch the drama and then Hill 16, the horse died at the first fence and the black curtains went up around it and broken neck and death. And so uh, it crystallized the rationale, I suppose, behind Mm. the protest. So it's in an interesting spot racing. Even in the Cheltenham coverage on ITV, there was a real nervousness. I think it was on Gold Cup Day. When a horse went down and Ed Chamberlain and team couldn't have repeated more often that the horse is OK, everybody's home safely, the horse is OK, because yeah. they are acutely aware of the uh, misgivings people have. And Alex Lockwood is part of Animal Rising, and he has written a piece in The Guardian today, and he was quoting surveys which suggest that 80, 80 percent of people under 40, don't want to attend horse racing because they view it as unethical. So as an exemplar of, of shifting attitudes, perhaps. Now, the great hypocrisy of all those eighty percent, I suspect, is that they continue to eat meat and poultry. Yeah, uh, I know, also
2: would. I, I, I. You don't want to question empirical evidence, but you know, I'd like to see what the sample is of that same. because that doesn't that doesn't reflect on. Uh, Like certainly 80% of people that I know under 40 wouldn't have a, uh, wouldn't have a uh, anywhere close to that number. I would say it's not even in
1: the majority. I tend to agree. And this one, to be fair, the line, maybe it's different if it's just, uh, do you think horse racing should exist? Because this was very much, do you want to attend a horse racing meeting? Mm,
2: but I just, way, I just, it again, seems- I want to see how the the question was framed. And again, just thinking of it almost in a, you know, from doing like sampling and, and different things in 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 the past and understanding how that works. So much of it's based on the sample, yeah. where the sample's from, how random it is and from do, the question that do was you know, asked. Um, do you know?
1: It's a very complicated issue, this. Uh, do you know where I have a certain, I'd be curious for your thoughts, where I do have a certain sympathy for horse racing is that, I think the majority and probably vast majority of those in the industry really love horses and treat them beautifully, meticulously. Yeah. Um, And yet there is obviously this issue. There is this downside to the sport. But in that same piece that Alex Lockwood from Animal Rising uh, wrote, he was making the point that, you know, our relationship with animals is awful, broken. Disgusting, despicable, frankly. And in the UK alone, we breed and kill 1.2 billion animals every year. And there was a link in the article to some video footage of how we treat these animals. And guess what, Michael? It's pretty gruesome, uh, the conditions in which they're kept. Basically, every undercover investigation is never great when you see how animals are being treated. And so it's like racing is what we're talking about at Half Seven. It's very much front and centre of the debate, like I don't know 50 horses have died this year on the tracks of the UK that's nothing compared to 1.2 billion animals killed every year for uh, food and increasingly so needlessly so I think racing can kind of feel geez, we're like when you're talking about animal welfare it's our sport in the firing line in a massive way for the last 48 hours does everybody want to check themselves a little bit as we uh, cut open our beef burger
2: yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I th- I think need to, you need to just deal with the matter at hand in this case, especially if you're a racing person who's confronted with this on the TV. And I thought that, that, that my main takeaway would be that I thought that there was a... I don't know if they handled it too well. I thought that they were quite dismissive of it and, and angry about it in a way that suggested the concerns were all... Um, Invalid. Oh, as in, you the, know, the ITV um, crew weren't yeah. happy with the protest. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that that, that kind of made the the protest seem invalid. At the same time, I do understand where you know, as as we talked about before, this wasn't too long ago, we talked about like I would imagine that the people involved in the training and riding of horses in entry on Saturday are all people who would think even, <laughs> it, you know, is like this is this is a horse that lives this life as best they can and are incredibly looked at, well looked after and are treated like really really well and respectfully and in return like we all do they work and they run this race and there are risks involved sure but you know I would think that they don't see the ethical issues as even existing never mind something that need to be addressed or met halfway mm. and you can understand then if that is your mentality right or wrong how difficult it would be to confront you know a protest ruining the biggest race of the year it's funny you mentioned like it's funny it is the grand national and that the you know that that happened at the first fence we did a, a preview piece on friday and like there was Honestly, a good few comments talking. It's not the Grand National anymore. change defenses. Yeah, it's just another. It's just a long race. Not dangerous. You enough. know, it's not. Yeah. But kind of. Yeah. You know, it's like it's. It's not dangerous enough. Is is the implied meaning to those messages? Yeah, you know, as in, but it's it, it's not difficult. People have said I that suppose. about F one as well. Absolutely. But, Do you know what it was? It was and going through rim. my head, yeah. Richie, as as I was saying that there was that F one is the exact same. It's almost yeah. like it's not dangerous enough. But look, one of the differences being the F one drivers are. Paid 50 million a year in consent. Yeah, and know what they're getting themselves yeah. into, which horses yeah, obviously thing. have no choice in the matter. Yeah. But
1: do, do you I, not I think, where, where are you in this, Rich? Because I, I I take Mick's point, we have to deal with the issue at hand. And yet I do find yeah. myself thinking, oh, this is a very kind of easy piñata so, to bash it, in the context yeah. of how many animals we all mistreat every year. And here we are, like making racing the headline issue. It's not.
0: Yeah, but it it's a, like at its very basic level, it is a sport that involves competitors that don't give full-on consent. They're just essentially coerced as well as you might treat them into participating. And it's the only sport really left wherein central competitors die on any kind of a, a frequent basis. Mm, um, and that's that's a difficult thing to, to try and uh, yeah. juggle with the fact that you know they are treated like royalty within their yards, and that their owners, and that their trainers, and that their jockeys all really look after them to a point. Because then you see the protests that there have been from um, from trainers in particular <clears throat> about the uh, the whip rules in the UK, and and the basically that the number of the, basically there was a there was a limit an upper limit of how many times you could whip the horse, and even the fact that that's a discussion is is noteworthy, and the fact that there are trainers against the uh, lowering of the that bar it kind of speaks volumes of people's relationships to the animals um and there are a lot of bad faith arguments made subsequently as well about the protest having an impact on on the race itself and on all this kind of stuff and and hill 16's death which I, I wouldn't be able to buy but it is like such a nuanced argument that I don't think it takes uh it it doesn't fall down on the side of I support the protesters I don't support the protesters there's so many different disparate elements to it that it's almost hard to do justice in a radio piece. But you'd be very conflicted as a human being watching what does transpire during racing, really.
1: Yeah, very. And uh, again, that huge TV audience saw the protest and then saw Hill 16 die at the first and watched the curtain go up for the second uh, circuit. So it was really borne out in the worst possible way for racing. Let's, before the clock gets too far away (coughs) from us, Lydia Hislop will join us around Half Seven. Curious to get her perspective on the whole situation. NewsRound is brought to you with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back neon Night edition available now lots of texts coming in to 53106 which I'll get to in just a moment there is football this evening Richie in the Premier League
0: yeah Liverpool looking to end a run of four Premier League games without a win tonight Jürgen Klopside, side ROA2 relegation threatened Leeds the Allen Road Club start the night two points two places above the relegation zone they make a couple of changes uh, both seemingly in force Luke Ayling and Patrick Bamford miss out following last week's thrashing at the hands of Crystal Palace Elan Mellier is in goal for Leeds Rasmus Christensen Robin Cock Pascal Strouk, and Junior Ferpo are there back four Mark Rocca and Weston McKenney anchor the midfield in front of them the unchanged trio of Jack Harrison Brendan Aronson and Luis Sinisterra. Rodrigo starts up front captains inside as well Patrick Bamford absent from the matchday squad Liverpool unchanged from their last outing but Luis D Dion- Diaz is on the bench for the first time in about six months. Allison starts in goal back four then Trent Alexander-Arnold Ibrahim Akanade Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson Fabinho, Jordan Henderson and Curtis Jones are in midfield uh, Diogo Jada, Mosala, and Cody Gakpo are their front three and kick off is at eight. Snooker. Yeah, Mark Allen has resumed 6-3 up on China's Zheng Fan in their World Snooker Championship first round match the first to 10 will play Stuart Bingham in the last 16 uh, just underway as well the meeting of Joe Perry and Robert Milkins three time Crucible champion Mark Williams won all six frames this afternoon to complete a 10-5 win over Jimmy Robertson Williams will play Luca Bressel in round 2 John Higgins ended the afternoon session with a 6-2 lead over David Grace they'll be back tomorrow while Hassan Vafai set up a mouth-watering last 16 tie with Ronnie O'Sullivan by beating Ding Jong 10 ten six this morning? Vafai has been critical in the past of what he's viewed as O'Sullivan's disrespectful remarks about other players. O'Sullivan fired back following his weekend win over Jungshu Pang, which has only fired up Vafai even more.
2: Oh, I, I was talking to myself. God, don't give me that opportunity. If you give me, I'm gonna do same he done to me. So he will get that, and everyone will be surprised. And I said that to my God, and. He makes that everything happen for a reason. You can't run away. If you do something bad to the people, if you make if you break someone else's heart, God will you will give you that opportunity to get your revenge. <laughs> it's all happening. Jesus. Uh, this <laughs> sounds like the most. Uh, this is gonna be the worst-tempered snooker match of all time. A
1: documentary about this in wow. 20 years. Frank, the Spurs fan who puts in brackets, let me have this. I knew Arsenal oh would God. bottle it, he says. That's looking like the wobble. Yeah. Just when I was starting to Spurs, think... Spurs, of course, lost, a, lost at home to Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ignoring that, yeah. Bournemouth, by the way. What a brilliant job Yeah, being done absolutely. there. Gary O'Neill, yeah. Ah. Just when I was starting to think, this Arsenal thing has the look of being
2: possible. I know. As soon as... We, we, we dismissed it so long and then you're like, oh, maybe, but... To be honest, I think after Anfield, I sort of lost Same. faith a little bit. I mean, just looking at Man City's fixture list, I can't see them dropping any points except for possibly against Arsenal.
1: And it's like City have straightened themselves out as well. Yeah. Which was another issue in Arsenal's favour yeah. that they were just messing around for half the season. Yeah.
2: The last ten minutes of the City Leicester game would <laughs> you, you have a couple of questions, but I think they were three 0 up at the time. Maybe it's hard to turn it back on, but you know, they were amazing in the first half again, like you know, and what they did during the week to Bayern Munich, like it's hard to see it's a weird thing to say when they haven't won anything yet and it's so and they're like behind in the Premier League race, but it's hard to see them not winning the treble. I think they'll win the treble. Yeah, you know, like, it's predicting it even, but even saying, like, I just think I'm fairly sure it's going to happen, which Mm. is a mad thing to say. Well, then we'll suddenly
1: be back talking about the 110 charges against Manchester City. Long forgotten. Financial fair play. Long forgotten. Some texts in on various other issues. Lads, there is a debate to be had about the fences in the English Grand National. And they have been changed in the past and there should be scope for further change to bring them closer to the Irish, Scottish and Welsh nationals. But this animal rising crowd are just going to entrench the debate. These are also work animals and they deserve to be treated immaculately. But some people think these horses would be roaming free on the meadows only for horse racing. They wouldn't. They would nearly be as extinct as the dodo.
2: Yeah. I was going to say that I don't know if I know enough about it but like horses have always been working animals in their human relationship you know whether that's right or wrong is another thing but like, you know this is the kind of this is the evolution of that it's, it's for sport now and not for ploughing and transport as yeah.
1: it used to be you know Jerry says eating meat and supporting animal welfare is not necessarily inconsistent it's about the quality of life whilst alive and the humaneness of death dying from a broken neck is not humane says Jerry. That's to my point, Jerry, I'm deeply suspicious of how the 1.2 billion in the UK and however many billion here animals um, that we eat are being treated in the main. I mean, I don't know where I stand in horse racing, but I do know if you offer me the life of thoroughbred horse versus chicken, uh, bred and killed for food, I'd go for thoroughbred horse. It's just my good instinct. Yeah. So yeah, I think it you. is inconsistent. I don't think you can be a massive animal welfare supporter and like be buying your chicken and uh you know, would you bet your life it's had a good time? I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Uh, that's my sense. Without casting aspersions on anybody or any um retailer, of course. I'm just talking generally across the globe. You're looking at me in a funny No, way? I
2: no, there's look there's loads of questions about the meat industry and there's loads of exposes about it and everything else. I do think that it's 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 better than it was and you know the pressure that comes on because of it helps in that regard you know but we don't know i think is the pro- is the problem you know
1: mm. uh, so there are uh, coaches joining the provinces left right and center including Connacht
0: Yeah, Connacht today confirmed the impending arrival of Scott Fardy as their new defence coach, signing a two-year contract at the sports ground. The former Leinster and Wallabies forward joins a coaching staff that has come to also include John Muldoon in recent weeks. They'll report to head coach Pete Wilkins, who says Fardy understands what it takes to develop a relentless and winning mindset. Since retiring as a player in 2021, Fardy's held coaching positions in Japan with NEC Green Rockets and subsequently Australian club Warringah.
1: We'll talk about that with Jerry Thorling and Fiona Hayes, as well as uh, Jacques Barr joining Leinster, replacing Stuart Lancaster. What an so, appointment. Oh, like. Big name. I mean, Nienabar is defensive guru, it mm. seems. That was very much his MO at Munster. So, with Lancaster's departure, and you felt like his fingertips were all over the attack, Nienabar will come in, you would presume still be ultimately leaning towards defence. So, suddenly the role of Andrew Goodman. Uh, looking over after attack, even currently, but you suspect, like I said, that Lancaster is very much involved in that. Suddenly, Andrew Goodman, who did play for Leinster and has been a coach at the Crusaders, his um, status and profile is going to be on the
2: rise next year. Yeah, as attack coach. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that that's they obviously made this decision knowing that he's there, and you know, you need to be able to let people thrive and grow in their job as well like that and he, he's ready for it I would imagine if he's been working under Lancaster uh, for as long as he has now yeah he's obviously ready for the step up and look you bring in a defensive guru like <laughs> it can only be good news for Leinster really
1: Yeah uh, Sean O'Brien will be in charge by the way Leo Cullen has flown home from South Africa he's missing his first game in eight years in charge Sean O'Brien will take the game at this Saturday coming in the URC Sam Prendergast man of the match player of the weekend 20 years of age
2: you almost don't want to get too excited <laughs> no. about a player like this, but you know you're watching him in the under twenties Six Nations. You're reading about him. You see the way the people in the game talk about him. You know it's almost like the Evan Ferguson comparison. Not to, not to compare them, but yeah, the way it, it's hearing the people in football talk about Evan Ferguson versus journalists or whoever you know or fans even yeah it's like there's a real kind of sense that this guy is the real deal and you get that with Prendergast as well even though we've had unbelievable under 20s teams over the last six or seven years yeah I don't remember one person just like kind of being so exciting you know and then he goes out and does that at the weekend it's nuts they've never gone straight into like the Leinster team after winning the 20s they disappear for
1: several years tends to be the way there's been a protest at the snooker live on television at the World Championships. What? So I'm seeing a photograph uh, on Twitter of a snooker table covered in some kind of orange material. Don't know what it is. Is it, is it like a paste or a powder? It looks like a powder that's all over the table. And the guy who did it is wearing a T-shirt saying, just stop
2: oil. So sorry I know when they like you know they're, they're, they're destroying like Van Goghs and like you know things like that like I I think there was a, a was was there a, I, all these kind of like famous paintings and all have been yeah. destroyed but like don't touch the crucible don't don't touch the base <laughs> it's babe. gone too far i just, felt, it's the felt just seen, the felt seen the video of the I'm just of seen the
0: video the first thing that jumps out about the video is your man jumps on the table and the first thing you can hear from the crowd is somebody shouting you P or I C okay. and whatever. Yeah.
1: It's a quick way to alienate the public. <laughs> it like I like no. I mean you can like, ruin a like, Van Gogh. I know. <laughs> but if you're gonna mess with our Monday evening snooker
2: It's the crucible job. Just,
1: Some things are just beyond, you know. Yeah. That's disgusting. Fun, on. Jesus Christ. turn on the heat an extra extra degree or two and crank up the oil
0: in, in retaliation oh, I will not mind it was the Joe Perry and Robert Milkins match everybody's going to be looking at the Mark Allen one I'd imagine surely 6-3 like, up that's only started yeah. uh,
1: there we go do you want to give us one last story because I know Lydia's uh, waiting patiently
0: yeah, bad news. Ireland are facing the follow-on in their first ever test with Sri Lanka in Gal. The Tourists ended day two on 117 for seven in their first innings after Sri Lanka declared on 591 for six. Ireland still need 274 runs to make their hosts bat again tomorrow. Very good. Richie, thank you. Nice and that's Nate McCarthy. Thanks very much.
2: Cheers.